Good morning. Let me introduce myself. I've had a chance, I think, over the last several months to meet most of you. Uh, but just to give a little bit of introduction here too, my name is Bob Hepikowski. And for the last seven years, I've been pastor at the Alliance Church in Staples, Minnesota. Resigned in August and right now sort of in this in-between place of waiting for the next church and when God has that prepared for us. Uh, before being in Staples, I'm actually from Wadena originally, but have lived in many places. In fact, for 20 years, my wife, Giselle, who's not here today for various reasons, uh, too long to explain. Uh, we were international workers with the Alliance, serving primarily in the country of Chile, South America. Our major ministry was working in the South among the rural Native American population, and that's pretty much where we raised our kids. We have two sons. Our older son, Brent, lives in the Twin Cities. He's an actuary and very involved in his local church and leadership and music. Our younger son, Tim, is actually doing full-time Christian ministry on campuses in East Asia, a creative access country. And uh, it's interesting that if you count the two months that Tim did an internship in South Africa, he's now living on his fifth continent. He's 22 years old. He's had quite a life. Uh, and I just want to say a couple of things as, as I'm here with you this morning, and I think we're a little bit more informal. Two things I've never done before. One, I have never spoken sitting down, but my back has been acting up, so I'm going to do that this morning. And I've never actually preached with my shirt untucked before. This is new. <laughs> but Pastor Charlie does it, so I'm going to try it, all right? <clears throat> I don't think this church caused too much disturbance here. I've appreciated getting to know this church family. I really have. Uh, every, every church I visit, I see God at work in different ways, and here I see a community of people who love being together, and people who serve faithfully and humbly and sometimes sacrificially, uh, and I've loved to watch that. I, 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 the, the best men's breakfast in the Christian and Missionary Alliance right here I've been to men's breakfast in probably 30 to 40 different churches, and there are none that come close to what happens here for Band of Brothers. So guys, if you've not been, you've got to come for the food, if nothing else. Good people, good food. I want to say thank you for receiving Giselle and I as becoming a family for us for this time, and I appreciate Pastor Charlie, his friendship, his encouragement, and it is a blessing to be here this morning with you. I want to do two things this morning uh, in the time that I'm given. In the first 20 minutes or so, I want to tell you the story of one of my favorite figures from the Old Testament, not one that's widely known or talked about, but one whose life presents, I think, a very important lesson for us and a very motivational example as well. And then with the rest of the time that I have this morning, I just want to get really practical and challenge you for your own walk with the Lord in the year 2020. I want you this morning to meet Josiah. Josiah didn't have a typical childhood by any means. When he was eight years old, his father was murdered in his own home by people who worked for the family. I can't imagine a more adverse childhood experience than that. 
But eight-year-old Josiah not only had to replace his father as the head of the household, he had to replace his father as the head of the nation. He became, at eight years old, the king of Judah. And a tremendous responsibility. And despite the fact that he was only a child when he became the king, he eventually was responsible for the greatest spiritual awakening or revival in the history of the nation of Israel. And I want you to hear his story. So I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Second Chronicles, be in chapter 34. Uh, many of the verses will be on the screen up above behind me, and uh, others I'll summarize just because of time this morning. But we begin his story in chapter 34, 2 Chronicles, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he to the Lord to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. The summary of Josiah's 31 years as king of Judah was that he did what was pleasing to God. But I want you to listen to the next verse where you're going to notice it wasn't always that way. Listen to verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, in other words, when he was 16 years old, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In other words, for the first eight years, from age 8 to age 16, he wasn't seeking after God. And that really shouldn't surprise us if we know his family background. And to understand Josiah coming to the throne, you need to understand what was happening previously. So we're going to back up a couple of generations. And I want to tell you about Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. And he's talked about in the previous chapter, chapter 33, starting verse 1, we read this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And chapter 33 goes on to describe over half a century of Manasseh's rule, which was characterized primarily by idolatry and evil. It, he was, he was seeking after, well, and it goes into details, it tells that he rebuilt all of the places that were for forbidden worship. He built altars to the false gods Baal and Ashtoreth. He worshipped and served the sun and the moon and the stars, and it says that he actually built altars to those celestial bodies in the holy temple in Jerusalem, desecrating the most holy place. Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, practiced fortune-telling and even took some fancy and he consulted with mediums. And it tells us that he even took some of his own children and offered them as sacrifices to these other gods. His life is summed up in verse 9 of chapter 33 where it says, Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. Manasseh was an idolater, and he led the nation, God's nation, his people, into this unabashed idolatry. That was Josiah's grandfather, 55 years. When he died, Josiah's father, Ammon, came to the throne. And we read about his rule, very short, starting in verse 21, chapter 33. 
Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made, and he served them. He followed in the footsteps of his father, the evil footsteps, the idolatrous footsteps of his father. And then just two years later, his servants conspired against him. They assassinated him. And suddenly, eight-year-old Josiah comes to the throne. And so after nearly six years of this idolatry, should it surprise us that Josiah, as a new king, eight years old, wasn't seeking after God? He had no examples of that. And yet something was about to change. It comes to us in, again, we're back in chapter 34 now, verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Something happened. It wasn't the influence of his family. Most likely, it was the influence of some godly priest or a scribe who began to speak into the life of young Josiah. And his heart was transformed. And we're told that he began to seek God. And it's interesting that it says of Ammon, he was like his father Manasseh. But now it says of Josiah, not that he was like his father Ammon, but he was like that ancestor David, who with all his heart sought to please God. Josiah, 16 years old, king of Judah, seeks after God. And by age 20, he was ready to do something very bold. Just as Manasseh led the whole nation into idolatry, Josiah was going to lead the whole nation away from idolatry. And we hear that campaign starting in the second part of verse 3. It says, in the twelfth year, meaning twelve years after he began to reign, he was twenty years old. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. And what was about to take place was an all-out, no-holds-barred campaign against every form of idolatry in the nation. And the next verses, 4 through 7, describe it. And I want you to listen to how complete this effort is. It says, And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And they cut down the incense and altars, and incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon and as far as Naphtali and their ruins. All around he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. And then he returned to Jerusalem. This was not a small change that he was bringing about. It was a nationwide campaign, it says, throughout the land of Israel. And it was also an emphatic campaign. It wasn't enough to knock down these idols. They were ground to dust. They could not be resurrected in any shape or form. And it was a very personal effort on his part. If you notice, it says that it was Josiah himself who chopped down these altars to Baal. 
And it isn't until the end of this campaign throughout the whole nation that it says, and then he returned to Jerusalem. He was not content to be in his palace while there were idols still remaining in the land. It was a unique transformation in the history of Israel. And Josiah carried out that campaign for one very simple reason. He wanted to please God. This morning, the message is for those of you who say, I want to please God. So listen to the rest of Josiah's story, because six years later, after this campaign, something unexpected happened. And we're told of the events uh, through the rest of the chapter, and I'll summarize much of this just for, for time's sake. But Josiah had already cleansed the temple. These uh, foreign altars were taken away. But the temple was in disrepair. Uh, think about this. It was a 300-year-old building by this point, And during the time of Manasseh's rule, it wasn't well cared for. So plans were made, and funds were raised, and contractors hired, and materials purchased. And the work of renovating the temple began. And then comes this momentous discovery. In verse 14, we read that while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. It sounds like a no-brainer. You find the book of the law in the temple. It's like you find a, church, a Bible in the church, right? That's what you expect. But not in this case, because we've got to remember the context that for 57 years, Josiah's predecessors, his father and grandfather, had ignored God's commands, his law, completely and gone against it in, in very violent ways. And so they were not fans of promoting the teaching of God's law. In fact, quite to the contrary, they would have shunned it. They would have tried to bury it because it said things like this, any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Well, that's exactly what Manasseh had done. He had offered his children in sacrifice to these other gods. The law said he should have been stoned, so you can bet that he was not encouraging people to listen to God's law. And so... We have to suppose that some godly scribe charged with taking care of, of God's word, the scrolls of the law, took them and hid them in a safe place in the temple. And they were hidden so long that they were forgotten. They were lost. And here in the work of renovation, they're discovered once again. But now, in Josiah's 18th year, he's 26 years old, the scriptures were found. And in verse 18, we read that then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. Now imagine Josiah the king, for 10 years he's been seeking after God. He's carried out this great campaign against idolatry, but he's never really heard the reading of the law of God before. And for me, I would think this is a joyful moment. This is to celebrate. This is, this is God speaking. We hear his words. But his response shows something very different. Verse 19 says, And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. In biblical times, the tearing of one's clothes was an expression of deep grief and sorrow and remorse. 
That's what you do when you hear, hear that a close relative has died or that your nation has been invaded by foreign armies. And the response that Josiah had to hearing God's law read was grief and sorrow. Why? It's because of this, because Josiah wanted to please God. And that's why he carried out that whole campaign against idolatry, and God was pleased with that. But now as Josiah hears the entirety of God's law, instead of just bits and pieces that had been passed on secondhand, he's aware that he has fallen short of fulfilling God's pleasure and his will, and it grieves his heart. Now, was that Josiah's fault that he hadn't done all that God had commanded? Absolutely not, because he had never known. And so we could say, in one sense, Josiah had an excuse for not fully doing God's will, but Josiah didn't want an excuse. Josiah wanted to please God in everything, and he realized that he had failed to do that because of ignorance. And so here's the lesson that we pull out from Josiah's life, and it's this. I can't fully please God if I only partially know his will. And you can't fully please God if you only partially know his will and his word. And that's what Josiah now had the opportunity to do. And so he begins something new. We'll finish the rest of the story and then we'll talk about some applications here. Uh, Josiah spoke with his counselors and with leaders and with the prophets and said, what do we do? And he called what was a most extraordinary gathering of God's people. And it's at the end of this chapter, we'll be reading verses 29 to the end. And I want you to notice how many times the word all appears here. I, I think it's 11 times in the English Standard Version. So starting at verse 29, Then the king sent and gathered together all the, all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. All the people came together. And Josiah himself, the king, read to them the words that God had spoken to his people. Some scholars say that was the book of Deuteronomy. Others say it could have been all of the scrolls of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. What we do know is this. This was no five-minute devotional reading. This was an extended period intended so that all the people would know all of God's word and be able to follow. And that was the key. It wasn't just about hearing God's word. It was about a response, and that comes in verse 31. First, the king it says of Josiah, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his promise and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Josiah said, I will follow the Lord and what he's spoken. And verse 32, then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it, to join in that covenant. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. A nation, a generation that was raised in idolatry has now made this 180 degree turn and say, we will follow God 
and we will do his will. But for Josiah, that was not all. It wasn't just to communicate to God's people God's word. There was action he had to do too. Now he knew what to do. And that's where verse 33, the last verse, tells us that Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah went back on the road. It wasn't just the idols. There were other abominable things that God detested. They needed to be removed, and he was back on the campaign to finish what he began because now he knew the fullness of God's word. Indeed, I believe this is the greatest revival, the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of Israel. And it came about because all the people heard all the word of God. The lesson here for us, and I repeat it again, is that we cannot fully please God if we only partially know his will. And yet, according to one survey that I read, out of every five people who profess to be Christians, only one has the habit of reading the Bible every day. And out of every five who profess to be Christians, only one has read the entire Bible. And I would hope those numbers are much better here at Point Why I believe that they would be better than that. But still, that means that there are a lot of people who are Christians who can't fully please God because they only partially know his word and only partially know his will. How does that happen? I think part of it, and I want to indicate two things that I have observed, and one is there's an understanding that among a lot of those four out of the five that don't read the scripture, that looks at the Bible as a reference book. And nobody reads a reference book. If you've got a dictionary at home, it sits on the shelf. You don't pick it up to, to read. It's there to go and look up something if you have a question, and that's all. And some people treat the Bible in that way, but it isn't just a reference book. It's there as God revealing himself to us and revealing his will to us and giving us his promises. It's for a relationship with him. It's not a reference book. Who are on the shelf for those moments of questions? And there are others who, I, I, I think, fail to read the Bible because they expect someone else to read it for them. In other words, uh, the pastor will tell me all the things that I really know from the Bible. I don't need to read the whole thing. I'll just get the highlights from someone else. There's a couple of problems with that. One is just the impossibility of doing that. And I think if Pastor Charlie were to decide, okay, I'm going to teach the whole Bible. I've been here long enough to know he covers about half a chapter in a week. And so it would take him exactly 10 years to go through the entire New Testament. And for him to teach you the whole New Testament, you would have to be here every Sunday for the next 10 years. And that's just the New Testament, once over 10 years. I want to say this, and especially now, I, I want to make sure the young people here understand, students, that, that you're included in this because you can read. And you can't count on your youth leaders to teach you everything that God wants you to know from his word. It's, they do a good job. Be thankful for them. Listen to them. They give great lessons, but there's more that God wants. And for both young people and adults here, understand this, that 
the responsibility for your spiritual development is not primarily the responsibility of your pastor or your youth leader or your parents. You are responsible for your own spiritual growth and maturity. And that comes through reading God's Word yourself. Don't count on someone else to read the Bible for you. You know, we live in an amazing generation where we have unprecedented access to God's Word. It's literally with so many of us every time. I, I took my phone out of my pocket. It's really out of my pocket. But I, I literally have God's Word at my fingertips all the time, as long as my battery lasts. It's there. Josiah had a great excuse for being ignorant of God's Word. We have, it wasn't there for him. We don't have that excuse. We have the blessing of God's Word with us all the time. And yet one out of five who call themselves Christians reads God's Word. And I want to challenge you at point way this year. Let's change those numbers. Let's see them reversed. Let's see that four out of five or five out of five are reading the Scripture every day and reading the Scripture in a complete way. I want to take the last part of this message and just get really practical about this because if four out, four out of five don't read the Scripture on a regular basis or haven't read the Scripture completely, in many cases it's not because they haven't tried or haven't desired. I've spoken with a lot of people over the years who tell me, I started to read the Bible, but. And I want to help you get past some of those buts. And the first is, is just an encouragement. As you read the Bible, think about reading completely. The whole Bible, the whole Scripture. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Paul wrote to Timothy that all Scripture is inspired, it's God-breathed, and it's useful for our lives to transform us, to make us more like Christ. It is all valuable, and we should know it all, and we should want to know it all. I just want to give you one more indication. Why is it important that we know the whole of Scripture? It's because if we don't know all of Scripture, we're susceptible to false teaching. And I'll give you an example, and this is one from my background in South America. I, I can't, multiple times I heard pastors say this. The Bible says that a soul, one soul is worth more than all the treasure in the world. Is that true? You know, as I think about it, I think a soul is more valuable than all the treasure of the world. What's not true is that the Bible says that. It doesn't. And yet here I saw pastor speak to a congregation and they all love hearing that and nobody says the Bible doesn't say that. The only way you can know what the Bible doesn't say is to know everything that the Bible says. And that's important or we're easily deceived. So read the Bible completely. Read the Bible constantly. Make it a lifelong habit, a daily habit. I remember when I got my first Bible, I was 17 years old, a year older than Josiah when he began to seek after God, and, and I started reading, and I was in this group with a, a couple of people who really knew the Bible, and I was just, I would marvel at it, and, and I remember thinking, I could never know the Bible like that. 
And today I do, and the reason is not because I'm a pastor and it's not because I went to seminary, but it's because for over four decades I have worked at the discipline of daily reading of the Scripture. And having gone through the Scripture over and over for so much time, it becomes part of who we are. So seek to read the Bible completely, but also daily, faithfully for life. I want to encourage you at the same time, especially if you're new, read the Bible with reasonable expectations. Some people expect this is going to be a spiritual high every day and that that God is going to teach me something new and exciting. And some days what you read is really rather mundane or difficult to understand. And if you have the expectation that every day I'm meeting with God in this spectacular way, you'll be discouraged pretty quickly and you'll give up. But know that what you read today may be what you need to understand what you read in two months. Or what you read tomorrow might be what someone you know needs to hear this next week. Keep reading. And then also just this, and I think this is obvious, put a key context to the message. Read with a goal of pleasing God. It's not about accumulating head knowledge and Bible facts in our heads. That's what the Pharisees did, but they didn't please God because they didn't follow what they understood. And our desire is that we be transformed by these words to be like Christ and to live like him. So just some ideas as far as when you read the Bible to read completely, read it constantly, daily, keep reasonable expectations, and remember this is about life transformation for us. But here I want to get really practical for especially all of you who have never attempted really to read the Scripture or those of you who have attempted and not made it. I want to help you succeed. So a little bit of coaching here. First is you've got to find what works for you, and it's different for everybody. For some people, it's like, if I don't do this first thing in the morning, the day's schedule takes off, and I'm, I'm, I, I won't get back to it. For other people, if you try to do that in the morning before your coffee and before 11 o'clock, it's not going to work. And your best time may be in the evening. That's fine. For some of you, you want to have a, a, a paper Bible, the pages, the gold leaves, and the red letters. That's my son. He... He doesn't want to read any other Bible but one that he can open like that. For me, my eyes don't work that well, so I use a Kindle Fire is what works for me. Some of you need to find a place. You need to find a time, find a routine. If something's not working, keep adjusting it until you find what does work. And the second I want to say this, and I think this is really important for us, and I'm going to sort of really hit home on this, is have a goal and have a plan to meet that goal. Because good intentions will not get you through the Bible. And so I want to suggest two goals, and to me these are like two tiers. If you're beginning at this, and this is new, and if you've never read through the entire New Testament, my challenge to you this morning is that in 2020, you read the entire New Testament. And I want to tell you how simple that is. That might seem like a big goal. It's really not. The New Testament has 260 chapters. If you read five chapters each week in 52 weeks, you'll read the whole New Testament. The average time to read a chapter of the New Testament is three minutes and 45 seconds. Can you spare three minutes and 45 seconds to grow closer to the Lord five times a week? Yeah, we can do that. 
And in fact, here if you're digitally capable and you have a handheld device or a computer, if you're familiar with the Bible app, uh, also known as Uversion or Bible.com, they have great reading plans. One of the reading plans is called Project 345. And it's for the three minutes and 45 seconds that it takes to read a chapter. And you can follow along five chapters a week, 52 weeks a year, 260 chapters, and read the New Testament in a year. There's not one of you here who can't do that. And if you don't do the computer stuff, I actually have some copies printed and I'll give you one. And if we don't have enough, I'll get you more. Second tier goal for those of you who've read the New Testament, and it's time to go further, is the challenge to read the whole Bible in 2020. And we understand some of those parts are more difficult and harder to understand. And we meet your, uh, but in the Old Testament, we meet God. And we meet those who followed God through difficult circumstances, examples of faith. We see the tragedy of sin and their important lessons that help us to understand the New Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is useful. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if you've done the New Testament thing, I want you to pray. No, no I don't want you to pray about it. I just want you to do it. Read the whole Bible in 2020. You can do this. There are lots of Bible reading plans out there that you can follow, and you go to a Bible app, and you have literally dozens of choices. I'll tell you what I consider to be the worst plan for reading the Bible, in my opinion, and that's to start in Genesis chapter 1 and just keep going until you get to Revelation. I know lots and lots of people who have tried it, and I thank one person who ever succeeded in doing it. Most of them get lost in the, the wilderness of Leviticus. I like the reading plans that balance Old and New Testament every day. And there are lots of those available. And again, I have some copies here or there are many examples that are on uh, most Bible apps that you can use. I want to say this to you too. Uh, it's very helpful to have someone who knows your plan and can help you with it. Tell someone your plan and say, you know what, check up on me once in a while and ask me how I'm doing and help me with this, and especially if that's somebody who's already done this, who's, who's succeeded, who's developed this habit, and they can encourage you. It'll go a long ways to helping you through those difficult times. Sometimes it'll be two, three days, and you got to work to catch up. Sometime it'll happen, you'll get a week behind on schedule, and you'll say, now it's too big to catch up, and you quit. Don't. If you're too far behind to catch up, what you do is you say, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible in a year over 14 months. <laughs> or I'm going to read the Bible in a year, but I'm taking 15 months. Keep going. Eventually it becomes part of your life, but don't quit because you get behind. In just a moment, I want to give you a moment for your personal response to God. Just a quiet time for you to speak to him about what he's been saying this morning. But first, I just want to encourage you with these words. Think about what happened when Josiah heard all of God's word and decided to obey it. And all the people heard all of God's word. And the transformation, the nation was radically transformed for a decade. What could happen at Point Way Church if in 2020 all of God's people 
came to know and understand all of God's word and with all their hearts commit themselves to follow. I'd sure like to find out what would happen, don't you? I want you to take a moment now just in silence. And if you are at the point of making a decision, confirm that with God and tell God how you want to respond to the word that you've heard this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a treasure, it is a gift. It tells us who you are and all that you've done. It tells us much of what you're going to do. It is power for us to be transformed from death to life and then from sinfulness to holiness, from, from fleshly living to Christ-like living. And Father, I pray for each one here, and especially those who have yet to unwrap this wonderful gift and to discover all that you have for us, that there would be a, a desire and a passion that would go beyond just setting a concrete goal, but an expectation that in this year to come, they will meet with you as never before and grow in their faith as never before and be used by you to touch the lives of others as never before because they will seek you on a daily basis in your word. Father, I pray you'd lead them through the times of discouragement that you would use them to build up one another in this personal pursuit of understanding and knowing your will and that as they come to fully know your word that they would fully please you with their lives. Father, that's our desire and so we trust in you through your Holy Spirit to empower us to that end and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing the last song, just one more word of encouragement. If you made a decision today about how you want to read the scripture in this next year, it's important to solidify that. And one of the ways you do that is tell somebody. Before you leave here, say, you know what? I think I'm going to read the New Testament this year. Or this is a year that I go through the whole Bible. And then encourage one another as you do so. God bless you all.